Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor. And, and Rob McGregor. And our tech magician, producer, John Posey. You can go to the mysticalunderground.com where we make regular blog posts and where you can find out about our books. Our most recent nonfiction book is The Shift, Reports from the Mystical Underground. Trish's latest novel is White Crows, and Rob's latest novel is Tulpas, available in audio as well as print and ebook. Okay, we want to welcome back Preston Dennett, who is uh, the most prolific author of books about UFOs and alien contacts on planet Earth and maybe our galaxy <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Preston began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986 when he discovered that his family, uh, friends, and co-workers were having dramatic unexplained encounters. Uh, since then, he has uh, interviewed hundreds of witnesses and in investigated a wide variety of uh, paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for the MUFON UFO Network and uh, UF Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, uh, Ghost Hunter, a paranormal researcher and author of 30 books. And last time it was 27, now it's 30, and <laughs> more than 100 uh, articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Thanks for joining us again, uh, Reston. <laughs> thanks rob thanks trish it's always a pleasure <laughs> yeah okay. um okay so, rob you had the first question yeah right Pest, uh, preston how would you describe the current state of ufo research are we any closer to getting answers serious answers, <laughs> serious answers? <laughs> i would describe it as volatile <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's i mean things are always changing which is good uh yeah, I mean, I think we are seeing some encouraging signs towards disclosure. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really encouraged to see it, this subject being taken seriously, being discussed officially, getting on, you know, 60 Minutes. That was really cool. Yeah, that um, is cool. The congressional hearings was kind of interesting, though I mm -hmm. almost threw some things at the TV because <laughs> they were lying. Uh, oh, really? I threw out it, you know, saying, oh, we've never shot at these objects. Well, uh, yeah, we have. <laughs> uh, like, we've never heard of Malmstrom. I'm like, really? You haven't heard of the Malmstrom incident in 1967? Yeah, and you're the head of defense? <laughs> that's in Montana, right? Uh, the... Right. It's a very famous it's... incident. Right. Yeah. yeah. I read about that. Yeah. Oh, Preston, who uh, did the cover for your book? That is beautiful. Isn't that amazing? But, yeah. Uh -huh. That's my sister-in-law. Okay. Kisara. That's Christy Kisara, she's married to my brother. And uh, yeah, she and I were artists. Great. Mm, she's amazing. She yeah. kind of has gone with me on investigations, sits down next to the witness and draws what they saw, whether it's a crap, wow. an ET, kind of like a police sketch artist. So she's, yeah. she's huh. really good. And yeah, these are all true life cases. But, yeah. so, we yeah, met. I, 
I, I want to tell you, we met, we, we were on a cruise and we met a couple, both of whom had been abducted. But when they met, neither of them knew the other had been abducted. <laughs> and the guy, I thought of you because the guy says to me, he goes, yeah, and then we both found out we'd been abducted. He says, this isn't kind of stuff you talk to somebody that you just meet about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're going to have them on at some point there. Uh, yeah, I don't think that sort of thing is a coincidence. I hear that no. a lot. <laughs> it's right. like, wow, why, how are these people being brought together? <laughs> There's an ET dating service going on. <laughs> yeah, I Where's the app? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hot. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. Um, so this is the fourth. Uh, I didn't. I didn't even mention. Tell us the name of your book. I didn't even mention. I know it's the fourth <laughs> volume. <laughs> yeah, not from here. Volume okay. four. All right. So were there three other volumes? Uh, yep. Yep. I've been putting them out about, gosh, five years ago. This one is the most recent, of course. It's okay. Yeah. A- I went, went through most of the chapters. And uh, what I always find interesting is these stories from 1950s, you know, the, because they're bizarre, you know, and hard to, you know, document, of course. But uh, it's interesting that you put some of those in because uh they are so strange like the one with the beings that were only two feet tall i mean <laughs> i've never heard of being that quite that short <laughs> and and the, the guy and the guy was uh uh knocked out when his uh vessel small vessel crashed and then they would the the firemen would revive him and then he would start fighting the <laughs> and he'd pass out again that's, but you know something like that is it's hard to verify from the this distance right yeah you know that's unfortunate but what i like about this is there's so many cases and i think it's the sheer volume of cases that speaks to their authenticity the consistency of these reports and uh yeah i mean it definitely this phenomena has we know this as researchers i'm sure you know this is goes back hundreds thousands of years even uh, yeah. But it was really in the 1950s when it started ramping up. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I mean, it's just nonstop. Boom, 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 boom. Case after case. One of the strangest um, <laughs> books, one of the strangest stories I found in your in your new book about these UFOs that collide with trains. Yes. Tell us about the one in 2002. That was a weird story. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a unique incident. I couldn't find any other quite like it. Uh, this is in the chapter about people who have collided with UFOs, whether in planes uh-huh. or automobiles, a couple of with boats, but there's only one involving a train, and that occurred on <laughs> January uh, 14, 2002, uh, near, uh, I think it was Shelbyana, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is actually a train route, So, but this is where this... Uh, train conductor was in the train and they're going along when suddenly they start having computer problems and their speed recorder starts malfunctioning and the locomotives you know it was all failing and uh looking ahead of them on the tracks they saw up in the sky in various positions three metallic discs and they were fairly large about 20 feet across a couple were quite high up, but one was right in front of the train tracks. And as anyone who operates a train knows, you can't stop a train, you know, in a, in a matter of feet. It takes right. a mile sometimes to stop a train. 
And so they, the brakes were on, but they could not stop it in time. And apparently this disc did not see the train coming. Huh. Or I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, I can only speculate as to how this happened. But the train struck the disc and actually mm -hmm. caused damage to, to uh, some of the locomotive cars. Uh, I believe it was about three of the cars actually got damaged. And of course, this disc did take off at this point, and uh, they continued the route to, to and parked, and they were accosted by what they believed to be government agents, you know, taken off and questioned severely about every aspect of what happened. And it was a big deal. They were told not to talk about it, mm. and this was, you know, not talked about. Eventually, he did report it to, I think it was the National UFO Reporting Center. <laughs> that's when other reports did come in there was another witness who didn't see the actual collision but was in that area at that time and did describe seeing what appears to be the same objects because it was the same uh -huh. sort of description he was driving in a nearby area he's lucky he didn't hit his car <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah he went back there the, the train conductor went back there on the route back and it, the whole incident had been completely cleaned up because they had tents set up, army personnel. This right. was a big deal. Hmm. Uh, and, and then the, when uh, he went back, it was all gone, right? Uh, like it had uh, completely disappeared. Never happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which makes me wonder how many incidents like this we don't hear about. Right, where people are told to not speak. They uh, mentioned he even took his cell phone off way uh, <laughs> so yeah yeah you had, you had another really weird story about the uh the guy drake who crashed into a ufo entity outside of las vegas now that that is really weird yeah yeah that was on january 17 he was at sort of a uh rehab uh center for troubled teens and uh driving along with a uh, one of the his friends, I guess, one of the other members, and <laughs> a uh, teacher, a coach, and something ran across the road, and they struck it, and they weren't, and they ended up driving off into the ditch there, part part way down the mountain, and weren't entirely clear what they had seen. The, the guy who was driving didn't actually see it; it was so fast. But mm -hmm. as the kids got out of the car and were examining the crash site, they saw what appeared to be you know a claw or a part of a hand God. Um, yeah. and so they researched it and because they heard something mewling or making you know kind of odd sounds uh just over the the hill there and went climbing towards it and showed <laughs> was this reptilian humanoid huh. it was very strange because uh, this was you know, not an alligator or anything. This is not an area where there are alligators. <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah, this is in the outside of the Las Vegas area. This is a pretty remote area, actually, up in the mountains. And uh, it was a humanoid. It appeared to be female, judging from its anatomy, and uh, was very badly injured. And they stayed with it for a little while until you know, the adults returned with uh to to get the car out and take them back and they said look this this is a being it needs help and, and uh 
it ended up in being this fairly involved incident. Uh, they the kids wanted to stay with it. They were teenagers, uh, but they were told to go back to the facility where they were staying. And when they got there, they were questioned by your typical men in black <laughs> agents from some intelligence agency. They refused to identify exactly where they were from, but basically said, "You saw a deer." <laughs> and the kids were testing. He's like, "No, it wasn't a deer. I know what I saw. It wasn't a deer. It was this." It's like, "No, you saw a deer." And when he protested, with the, this guy says, listen, we have the authority to keep you here in this facility, in this detention center, till you are in your mid-20s or something for God. 10 more years. Jeez. So he had to capitulate. So what happened to that creature? It was just left there or the swept up? or? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. presumably the government people scooped him up or yeah. her, say. Right. We don't uh, know. That, that's what's so incredible. I mean, how could they claim they know nothing? You know? Yeah. They it, it's just. <laughs> it, it's laughable to me because it is so easy to prove that our governments are neck deep in this. Uh, you know, our military, all all the intelligence agencies. It's mm -hmm. I mean, we've got proof of this with documents released from the Freedom of Information Act. They know. We know they know. We know they know we know. <laughs> yeah. so, now, have you ever been threatened by any intelligence agency? Well, or told, would, to, told not to write? <laughs> a little bit, yeah, actually. I mean, that did happen once or oh, a few times, not in any really severe way, certainly not in a way that uh, deflected me. <laughs> yeah. But I, very early on in my research, you know, I'd gotten involved in this field in 1986. When I found out my family, friends, and coworkers, some of them, a lot of them actually, were having encounters. Hmm. And it was in 1992 that this huge wave of sightings kind of struck my hometown of Topanga Canyon. This is in Southern California. Right. I had just moved out to Canoga Park, but I knew a lot of people in that area, of course. And this was a wave of sightings that had everything going on. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I wrote, ended up writing a book about it. There was mm -hmm. cars being chased down the street. There were landings, people being taken on board. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, an enormous number of sightings. Uh, and in fact, on June 14th, when this wave began, I ended up finding more than 30 um, separate adult witnesses, independent of each other, who saw activity on just that one night. Wow. So, yeah, a big case. And so I was in the middle of investigating that. And it was putting up flyers on the <laughs> bulletin boards at the stores. And I was going door to door. I was calling people up. I was really gung-ho. Yeah. I called the police, left them my number. So I, I think I'd become somewhat visible. <laughs> that's when I got a call from someone who at first wouldn't identify himself, but basically said, you know, are you are you the guy who's investigating the U UFOs? I'm like, yeah. How can I help you? And he says, well, you know, I worked in the military. I was in the Vietnam War. I did satellite mapping. I have a top secret clearance. And you should probably not be investigating UFOs. I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? Why? And he says, it's dangerous. You don't know what you're getting into. Huh. Like, okay. You know, what do you mean? He says, it's not what you think it is. Hmm. Hmm. Well, okay. Like, how does he know what I think it is? For yeah. One thing. 
And second, you know, I'm thinking, well, what is it then? I asked him, so what is it? And he says, he evaded my answer or my question. And he said, it's, uh, you're barking up the wrong tree. Hmm. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, there's no pay dirt in this. And I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, wait a second. How can this be dangerous if there's no pay dirt in it? Yeah. And you know, what are, he's talking in circles here. And I didn't really tell him that. I just kept questioning him. Uh, but it became clear the conversation was going nowhere. And he didn't outright threaten me, but he did. He said, oh, this is dangerous. You don't know what you're doing. People get hurt. Huh. Uh, well, there, does, I, there does seem to be some military intervention in these, like, my lab cases that seem to mm -hmm. involve abductions that where it's a... Uh, Somebody in uniform, uh, military people are there. Uh, have you investigated uh, any such cases? With a few, yeah, de yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a guy I interviewed who was a Marine at Camp Pendleton in Southern California. Mm -hmm. You know, as I interviewed him, it became clear that he was dealing with some mind control and yeah, not drugging and some mm -hmm. negative experiences. I mean, mm -hmm. he had said it himself that he was the subject of some kind of experiment and yeah, yeah I, I well even whitley whitley said has said that the implant he's got was put in there by humans not by entities yeah i wonder about some of these cases because there's a portion you know particularly the ones that are just overtly negative <laughs> i believe our my labs uh, it's a real problem in this field because it muddies the waters mm -hmm. and brings a lot of fear and disinformation into the subject, which and I there don't think is hostile. I really yeah. don't think they're here to hurt us. And there are cases, uh, I think some of them are uh, hypnotically uh, uh, found. Manipulated? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about manipulated, but where, where they see military and greys working together uh, in certain situations uh, where there's a number of people that are strapped down on beds and very strange. Uh, well, that happened to Connie Cannon. Remember, yeah. she said that when she made that turn off on the that air base in Georgia, right? That yeah. there were military people there with the craft. Yeah. I, I wonder about those cases. Those I think are probably my labs and not, not actual ETs. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people might perceive human-looking figures on board a craft as military when they're not. Uh, yeah, so maybe. that's there, true. They could disguise themselves, definitely. There, there's some flat out misinformation going on here. Right. Uh, yeah. Because having interviewed so many people, I think I've run across that just a couple of times. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but you probably have a good BS detector now. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I have but, interviewed some people. I'm like, okay, you know, it's nice talking to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very polite, you know. It's not my job. To, yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. Uh, uh. but uh, <laughs> one of the categories that you write about in, in this book are the phenomena of being chased uh, while you're driving a car, and it's usually late at night, uh, two thirty in the morning, or something, or after midnight at least, and it's rural areas where there's no other cars around. Uh, but 
what uh, you go into here that I hadn't uh, read too much about previously is not only being chased, but having the car lifted off the road and taken <laughs> <laughs> taken for a ride in the air. Can you talk about uh, those cases and any particular ones that come to mind? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine <laughs> a car lift off? Because that? <laughs> there are a lot of cases, as you know, of people yeah, you <clears throat> desert highways and they're being chased down. There's a little bit of cat and mouse kind of playing going on here, <laughs> but these are cases that take that to a literal whole new level. Yeah. Uh, and there's quite a few of them. I had one myself, but when I was writing UFOs over in Nevada, I ran into three cases in a row, and that's what prompted me to take a deeper look at this and I was shocked to find dozens of cases of this kind all over the world Australia Europe across the U.S. South America and yeah there are some really amazing cases uh one case that comes to mind occurred in 1969 I mean this is from the beginning of the modern age all the way to the present day really but this one case in Alberta Canada involved a lady by the name of Barbara Smythe and she's trying smite. <laughs> smite. <laughs> smite. Interesting metaphor, yeah. <laughs> uh, she saw this 40-foot wide disc over her car and realized at this point that her car was floating above the road. Oh, God. And th these cases are interesting because, you know, there are cases <laughs> where people are basically taken with their car into a craft. Right. But that's not really what's happening in at least most of these cases. And this object just carried her car right above the road just a couple of feet for a full mile Wow! or <laughs> setting it down. And I know how that must sound to people, but I've got cases <laughs> for kids like this. Yeah, there's so many cases that you include. Uh, you, you have to wonder, though, if this is actually a kind of a playful behavior on their part just to, uh, you know, create kind more freak awareness <laughs> or whatever, you know, because what is the purpose of lifting cars up, you know, just to show that they can do it or, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I had my theories about that because I, I thought, is this, you know, a display of power? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I think you're more right. This is sort of a sense of humor, a real overt uh -huh. yeah. display because they will do this they will show yeah. themselves intentionally and this is a way that they do it where it's absolutely unmistakable you cannot <laughs> deny this i mean there was one case just real quick which was in uh, hattiesburg mississippi 1973 mm -hmm. involving two couples driving along who had just left a, a wild party which you know they weren't that kind of people <laughs> uh drinkers and such so they left this party and we're driving along and this cone of light comes down over their car and the car lifts up and then it gets set down and then lifted up again and then set down and the wife turns to her husband she's like what are you doing yeah. like, I'm not doing anything not me it's that and God. this object proceeded to lift their car up and set it down about you know not quite a dozen times but a half dozen over and over again I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? Yeah. Are these kids, wow. you know, are these teenage grays? Yeah. Are, they, are they practicing? Do they not know how to operate this <laughs> levitation beam? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of a sense of humor almost of them doing this in a real obvious way to let people know we're real. Watch yeah. this. You know, and they're having a little fun. Yeah. Like, now, did this happen to you, a car lift like that? This has never happened to me, okay. no. You're lucky, right? <laughs> no, but I think it would be wild. Yeah. 
Yeah, but these kind of cases like that uh, are somewhat remindful <clears throat> to me of the fact that they show up on the 4th of July to watch the fireworks. I mean, <laughs> talk about these cases. See, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, there could be a lot of misrepresentation of uh, what they're seeing, you know, with the fireworks going on. But you go into quite a bit of detail to uh, show that that's not always the case. But there is one type of... Uh, what are they called? Lanterns, uh, party lanterns that uh, could be mistaken for UFOs. Can you start there? Yeah, yeah. I thought this was super interesting because what worse day to see a UFO than the 4th of July? Really? <laughs> <laughs> People are just going to say, ah, fireworks. Yeah, um, April exactly. 1st, I think, would probably be equally problematic. Yeah, right. You don't <laughs> want to report a UFO on April 1st. <laughs> no. And, you know, hearing about reports on the 4th of July, I just kind of dismissed them initially because I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear it. You saw fireworks. I was you know, finding out UFOs were real in a weird, ironic way made me more skeptical. Mm -hmm. I started to hear about these 4th of July reports. And after I you know, kept running across them, I'm like, you know, let's just let's take a look at this. And I looked initially at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and New Fork, the National UFO Reporting Center, their databases. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I get a shock, you guys. Uh -uh. Oh, my gosh. Because what I found was, you know, the average number of cases reported to these reporting centers is, you know, somewhere between five and 20 per day. Mm -hmm. Per day. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an ongoing phenomena. But July is well known for being the most common month. Huh. Sightings do spike. But on the 4th of July, it wasn't 5 or 20. It was like 100, 50 to 100 reports. Jeez. And I thought, okay, this has got to be fireworks. It's got to be. <laughs> but it wasn't. It really wasn't. There were a lot of reports of what do seem to be or certainly behave like what we call sky lanterns, party lanterns, mm -hmm. which, as you know, are little paper balloons. You put a candle in there and it mm -hmm. sends it aloft. And they can get... 4,000 feet in altitude. They last yeah. for about 15 minutes. And you can see these online. And from a distance, they are quite striking. They mm -hmm. look like glowing orbs. And hmm. if they catch the right air current, they can seem to move in unison and patterns and hover in place or dart at right angles when they hit another. <coughs> uh, I started looking through supports. And yeah, over half could be explained like that. Mm -hmm. but at the same time, UFOs, can take that exact appearance as well uh -huh. and a number of these cases were clearly not sky lanterns there's no mm -hmm. way because mm -hmm. they would stop in the sky and then dart to another spot and then dart to another all get in a line then a triangle and some had portholes some of these were very low uh, metallic craft colored lights all around it couple of cases people are seeing the ets looking down through the windows oh, God. <laughs> so, these are and they would show up right when the fireworks show started, stay for the duration of the fireworks show, often in many cases, and then leave. And a mm -hmm. lot of the witnesses, I mean, this was pretty consistent, felt like these craft were coming to watch the fireworks show. Oh, God. Yeah. Crazy. And it went beyond that, too, because sometimes these craft, yeah, this is what I think is going on, these RETs would put on, you know, like, you want to watch a show? 
We'll put a show <laughs> Watch up <for> this. You. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> the number of the witnesses said that what we saw was far better than the fireworks show. <laughs> yeah, right. So I have another explanation of why there's more on the 4th of July than any other date is because people are looking up. You know, they're watching the fireworks. You know, normally we, you know, look straight ahead or down. <laughs> we don't, you know, always walk around looking at the sky, looking, you know, for uh, more than, point. you know, a few seconds uh, where it's more like minutes, uh, you know, and longer periods of time, more people looking up than ever. So that could be, you know, so maybe they're there more than we think they are. And yeah, I think that's <laughs> absolutely a factor because let's face it, it's millions of people out there at night. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Any other day, well, in the U.S., um and like unlike any other day of the year but honestly i think there's more going on here than just that because mm -hmm. um it's clear that they are drawn to the lights there's a number yeah. of cases in the literature where people have used lights or i mean there was a case i investigated in southern california where a guy was working for nbc and he set up pitch lights computerized lights in the shape of a disc and as soon as they turned it on these two ufos came swooping down to investigate Wow. So wow. they are attracted to lights. We know yeah. this. There's a lot of cases in the literature. So I think that is a factor. What I th found most interesting, honestly, about these cases, I'm like, you know, you would classify almost all of these as close encounters of the first kind, a simple sighting. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are a few involving, you know, where people felt yeah. electricity or they saw ET, so close encounters of the second, and a few third. But you could classify every single one of these as a close encounter of what you know the fifth kind, human initiated, where we call them down. Uh -huh. The new category sort of coined recently, but I think there's validity to that because they are coming down in large numbers on this day, and could could it be that this is a good tool to sort of hmm. initiate an encounter? Well, I wonder. Do you think they saw Independence Day? <laughs> I hope do they not. watch our movies <laughs> well they do i know they do actually it's funny you mentioned that because i put out a book <laughs> called uh this was a, a year or two ago ufos we missed this one pressing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's it this, called oh the drive-in yeah this is the right. drive-in right yeah i got a hundred cases i'm not kidding wow hovering over drive-in theaters <laughs> um this is absolutely a thing i got when I wrote UFOs over Colorado, I got three cases in a row. I had one myself, but I thought it was a one-off, unique. Mm. It wasn't. And after finding three cases in a row, I'm like, I'm going to look deeper into this. I found a hundred cases worldwide, by the way, mostly U.S., but some in other countries, Canada, certainly. Huh. But yeah. yeah, they come down over the theater, right over the screen, <laughs> right next to the screen, in case after case. And then they'll flash wow. their light. They'll start darting around. They'll release smaller craft. They're putting on, again, a display. It's another uh, sort of example of close cars of the fifth kind, human initiated. And they have a captive audience, too. You know, Everybody's there in their car drinking or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is the same as the 4th of July. Yeah. Unique yeah. opportunity for the ETs to fulfill one of their main agendas, one which is you know publicizing their presence, letting us know that we are not alone. Hmm. Yeah. so i think it's a that's exactly what's going on in the fourth of july cases and in the driving theater cases hmm. and i've heard i've heard about uh, a group of people um 
going out in the desert, I guess, from Southern California at night uh, and just well, flashing. Jamie Cromwell was Jamie part Cr of that group. Yeah, right. Yeah, we yeah we were uh, ghostwriting a book for the actor James Cromwell, which was actually a, a UFO related book too. And uh, he he told us that uh, he was involved with this group that went out and they flashed uh, uh, lights in the sky and they got responses. Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't know, know about James Cromwell because I did do a, a YouTube episode about all the famous people who have had sightings, and there's so many celebrities. Oh, he, huh. was there, he was very into it. Yeah. Yeah, I was part he, of yeah. that group, or maybe not that group, but you know, CE5 groups. Uh huh. Uh, and we, uh -huh. yeah, it works. I had a bunch of good sightings that way. It's thrilling when one shows, I mean, it doesn't always show up. Well, what do they do? I mean, like they to, to draw them down make lights shaped yeah. like ufos or um meditation i think is the uh -huh. most powerful right. tool we yeah. would all get there and just basically send out you know thought. right because these beings let's face it are telepathic yeah. they're very advanced in terms of psychic ability hmm. i think they can pick up on this they know about all of us they're very much on top of things right. and you know ce5 groups do use sort of a meditative sequence of thoughts but lights as well. <clears throat> Whatever works, works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know that we here, uh, when I was in LA, rather, uh, had a, we did it for about five years. Huh. Um, a couple of months, we'd go out, this core group of us formed, you know, a group yeah. of C SETI. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, when, we, yeah, we had lots of sight, mostly anomalous lights, I will say. Sometimes we'd be flashing our lights, they'd flash back. So, <laughs> Did really... anybody ever land and come out and say, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I was hoping. I was ready. <laughs> I would have loved that. Yeah. Well, it seems to me, though, if you can draw down, you know, if you can get responses from lights, you should be able to meditate in a way that would draw them to join you at the campfire. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see any reason why that couldn't happen. Uh, and there yeah. were there was the group from, gosh, what was it, Peru, uh, Mission Rama, with oh, right. where they did have that success. They did have groups where they do meditation and all kinds of spiritual work, and ended up having direct contact and being taken on board. Well, wow. Preston, you're in the perfect spot to do this. You know, Blue Ridge, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> that could be your next sequence of books. Yeah. yeah, I've had a bunch of sightings. I'm going to put out a book one of these days about my own experiences. Good. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've had a lot of sightings, and some have been very interactive. And yeah. that goes beyond that. I did have missing time. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it seems like they are interested in us seeing them, though. I mean, why would they uh, – you have a chapter on – the uh, UFO uh, coming into airports, uh, landing on land, actually landing on airstrips, and uh, so many cases uh, in that chapter. That you know, what would be the purpose? Other, you know, you think that would be kind of dangerous for them, but they seem to uh, hover over airports uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I first kind of got came to that. You know, living in LA, LAX, mm -hmm. uh, I heard about a series of encounters over Los Angeles International Airport, not just one or two, a dozen over a period of years. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there were cases where they would come right down near the watchtower, 
and yeah. came like every day for a period of four days I mean, case after case oh. after case appearing yeah, on case. radar chasing planes yeah and coming at the same time like between seven and eight or something at night uh, day after day for you know several days it's uh yeah and i thought hmm, is this unique uh, i ended up <laughs> um, realizing it wasn't I, I wrote an article years and years ago about the lax sightings and added a few other airport encounters that i knew of but i did not think it was worldwide until i decided to take a deeper look and got a huge shock because it is 100 percent worldwide i mm. found i could have written one book on just this i ended just up airport chapter yeah i really could have huh it's so yeah. interesting because i thought you know what why <laughs> i can't think of a least likely place ufos would go because they're going to be caught on radar they're going to yeah. be yeah um, yeah wasn't there some big sighting some years ago at o'hare yeah. i vaguely recall that i think that's the yeah. most famous one really yeah yeah, that was the one ago. that really got me to take a deeper look. 2006, I think it was uh -huh. November or thereabouts. And oh. uh, it was hovering over gate C-16. And it was seen <laughs> by baggage handlers. It was seen by control tower operators. It was wow. seen by pilots coming in for a landing and yeah. passengers. It was apparently photographed, even filmed. There was a cover-up enacted by, I think it was United Airlines, uh, who told their... Was employees do not talk about this mm -hmm. uh, they did thanks to uh, a reporter from, from the chicago tribune who dug deep mm. and found out the truth and we owe him john hilkovich a huge debt of gratitude for bringing this case to light huh. um, and now it's yeah. very well known it's one of the most famous airport encounters yeah but there's a lot of them i mean there was one in china where it shut down the <laughs> really um, oh yeah I mean, this is a, absolutely a thing. What's uh -huh. so interesting about these cases, I thought I assumed they were just sightings. They are not. Mm. These are there are many cases of landings, a shockingly yeah. large number of incidents where these things will land on the runway and ETs yeah. come out. I mean, we're talking <laughs> a dozen cases of this. Wow. This is a thing. This is absolutely something they're doing intentionally. And I think there's a couple of things going on here. My first thought was, oh, they're just sort of investigating our technology. Uh, and it's kind of appropriate that they would be attracted to airports because that's what they're designed for, mm -hmm. to come down and land. Uh, but I thought, no, maybe there's more going on here. Maybe this is like the schoolyard encounters, like driving uh -huh. through, you know, like the 4th of July encounters, a display, an opportunity to show themselves off. But I think there could be even more going on here because it's it's so worldwide. Yeah. Uh, this could be you know, practice for a worldwide landing, which could happen one day. What do they do when they come out? Do they just stand there or do they, hey, um, we're here. <laughs> pretty much just stand there, walk around the craft. They've approached a few security guards and people like that. <laughs> they walked God. up to one guy and, and said, um, we need one more. Would you come with us? <laughs> and he fainted. And we got, he was not inside a craft. But yeah, absolutely freaked him out. Uh, yeah, lar yeah, large number involving humanoids of all types, often human looking, but mm. not always, you know, the grays, little hairy dwarves, strange huh. humanoids of all types, very tall beings. Uh, it's amazing. And some of them, you know, they leave burn marks on the tarmac there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I was amazed to find so many cases involving landings and humanoids because I just couldn't think of at least. Have there been any in Florida? Um, oh, yeah, I, I am sure there are. I would have to look it up. Um, I, I know that there's just somewhere curious. they hovered over. There was over the Miami airport. Uh-huh. You know, they did. There's a case there that's in the book, uh, which was very well verified. In fact, it was so widely viewed that officials released statements about it saying, yes, we saw what this was, saw this. We don't know what it was. If it had proved a threat, we would have gone after it. Which I found kind of laughable. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> what do you? Yeah, right. Shoot it down. <laughs> okay. The, the thing, uh, Preston, that puzzles me about this, and uh, maybe this—I uh, was a journalist for years, and so I have a certain skeptical uh, sense about uh, certain things uh, related to UFOs. The thing that uh, that puzzles me is. Everybody has cell phones. Everybody knows how to take pictures. Why haven't we got a good picture yet, a close encounter picture of a, a being or a craft even? I mean, uh, the real pictures are all fuzzy. The fake ones are, you know, uh, that look good, but they turn out to be fake. You know, so that's that seems to be an ongoing puzzle that we should be something, we should be getting pictures yeah, well, it's absolutely true with the airport encounters that initially through the 50s and 60s, there weren't a whole lot of photographic mm -hmm. cases. Yeah. But as you get into the current day, yes. Like, and the O'Hare Air, airport incident is one example. Mm -hmm. There are photographs. Uh, but from that point on, yeah, there's a number of cases involving pretty clear photographs. I and mean, there was one over China that was quite striking, the photographs. Mm -hmm. But you're right. These are very easy to fake. It's yeah. now a really concerted disinformation campaign. And you can see this if you go out on Facebook or other social media sites. It's just riddled, littered with CGI, clearly fake photographs. Hmm. I like some of the older cases, the Santa Ana photographs by Rex Heflin, uh, Paul Trent in McMinnville, Oregon. Those are some great photos. Trinidad Island photographs. These are older cases, yeah, which are very clear. Um, black and, black and white photos, yeah. 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 I mean, there's some great ones from the Hudson Valley wave, mm -hmm. 1980s. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's still a problem, though. And I, every now and then, people will send me photographs. And unless they're willing to you know, put their name behind it, yeah. and, you know, mm, I'm just not interested because it's so easy to fake. Right. That's... How about E.T. Hitchhikers? <laughs> and that would be that would be a perfect opportunity to get a good picture. <laughs> yeah, you, would, you would think. It turns out it's not so easy. This was something that really intrigued me because I first heard about this when I was reading one of Artie Sixkiller Clark's uh -huh. books. Oh yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah, those books. I are love her. Yeah, because impressive, very impressive. Yeah, she's one of my favorite researchers. There's a handful of researchers out there that I truly respect. Yeah, a lot of them. I'm like, mm, shame on you. You're on my notice. Yeah. I don't trust I, you. <laughs> I've been trying to. I've been trying to get her to come on the mystical underground, but I'm not getting much response from her. I guess she's uh, not uh, that uh, willing yeah, she's to. She's pretty quiet. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen. I don't. I don't know that I've ever seen an interview with her. Yeah, yeah. But I do love her books, and she she talked about a case involving a gentleman from Arizona who was driving from. Ch Chinle, I think it was, to Chinle, Castle yeah. Rock. 
and saw this gentleman along the side of the road on the middle of the desert, which often happens in these ET hitchhiking cases, and thought he was another Native American. He's a Native American himself. His name is mm -hmm. Dakota, and decided to pick this guy up and did. And as soon as he got in the car, he realized, well, this isn't a Native American. He's very <laughs> <pale -skinned. laughs> wearing this shimmery white jumpsuit. <laughs> His eyes are kind of strange and hypnotic and not quite normal. <laughs> and uh, as they're driving along, suddenly they come upon this craft that's landed right in front of them on the oh, road. Geez. This guy hops out and goes into it, <laughs> comes back out with another guy and basically pulled Dakota on board. Wow. Wow. That happens in a number of these cases. It's a prelude, a prelude to an onboard UFO encounter. Uh -huh. Two ladies in Arizona driving along out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, this is the desert. They see this very handsome looking, tall, muscular, blonde haired man. <laughs> and uh they don't you know they're two ladies driving out alone they're not don't in the habit of picking up hitchhikers but right. they felt compelled to stop that's hmm, another uh. that turns up and they kind, kind of surprise themselves when they let this guy in and he starts talking to them in a sing-song voice they felt almost entranced in english bit. yep yeah. huh. hmm. saying don't be afraid everything's fine you know like <laughs> et's do uh-huh and the next thing they know, the car is lifting up off the road <laughs> and it goes straight into a craft. And it was a long involved onboard experience. Hmm. Uh, you know, they were examined, given messages and so forth. Like we often hear, put back down and they rushed to the nearest town to call their family and tell them what happened. And their families were frantic because they had been missing not for a few hours, for five days. Wow. Yeah. So they had no concept of the time that it passed, the women. Exactly. Uh, oh. With so yeah. many cases, I found a dozen cases of these ET hitchhikers, and it's so bizarre. I think one of my favorite occurred in 2003 in Sao Paulo, Brazil, to a guy who was oh, on his way to work and saw this little guy <laughs> standing by the side of the road, felt <laughs> compelled to stop. And this is just a you know short, four and a half, five foot tall figure. Was it daylight? It was daylight. This was morning. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And there's a pattern in these cases. These figures, they look strange. They're dressed strange. And they behave strangely. And this guy had all of that. He, he had big, bulging, frog-like eyes. <laughs> uh, six fingers. His clothes were very strange. Wow. Uh, his, his skin complexion was not normal. He was humanoid, but clearly not human. Hmm. And the guy's looking at him going, oh my God. Uh, what I picked um, up? Where do you want where do you want to go? And he wouldn't talk. He just pointed to the road ahead of him. And uh, this guy felt compelled. I mean, he really had no choice, he felt, but to drive on and try to engage this guy in conversation, but he would not talk. Huh. And the more he looked, the more he realized this guy is not human. He's very strange. Jeez. Um, and this went on for 15, 20 minutes until the guy suddenly makes a motion to stop <laughs> and jumps out of the car and walks out into the desert there. There was nothing there. Well, huh. <laughs> yeah, so I wonder what would be the purpose of something like that for the ET? Just... <laughs> They needed to ride. I don't know. Uh, needed to ride. Oh, yeah. Okay. really basic. I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think in a number of these cases, it is, a, like I said, a way to sort of 
take people on board uh -huh. to the ET and gently sort of pull them in without yeah. it perhaps being so super traumatic. Mm -hmm. That does happen in a number of cases, but that one, no, that was just your yeah. ET hitchhiker. I don't know. <laughs> sure so weird. Days. Yeah. So probably the most well-known case uh, of, uh, of an abduction of a, an encounter is Barney and Betty, Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, right. I think more people know about that case than any other case. I've mm -hmm. you know seen the movie, read about it numerous times, but you had something about that case in your book that I'd never heard about, and this is the bag of fertilizer in her trunk. Uh, can, <laughs> yes. can you go? <laughs> can you go into that? And what? Did I mean, we even spent a weekend with Betty Hill years ago, and she oh, never wow. mentioned that fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a very interesting and little-known detail, but it's absolutely verified. Kathleen Martin, Betty's niece, uh -huh. talked, talked about this, and this was a mystery that has never been fully solved. So I tried to, to take a deeper look, and I found some interesting connections. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill, of course, left on that vacation to the White Mountains somewhat spontaneously mm -hmm. and didn't fully unpack their car and had a bag of fertilizer in the back uh, when they were taken on board. They returned and started to realize that this was more than just a sighting. And some investigators showed up among the first investigators there and started asking them uh, all these questions. Like, do, do, do you have any idea there, there may have been missing time? Because they were still trying to wrap their heads uh -huh. around and was asking all kinds of questions. It was clear that something happened because there were spots on the car. Barney's shoes were scuffed. Betty's dress was torn. And there was physical evidence. Uh, but then they asked them a very off-the-wall question. They thought, uh, do you have any connection to the nitrates industry? Is there any fertilizer in your car or anything like this? Huh. And both Betty and Barney thought this was just the weirdest question ever. Why would they be asking this? And they said, no, what are you talking about? No, we don't. And then Barney is like, oh, wait a second. We did. We had a bag of fertilizer in the car. And these two gentlemen, Homan and Stevens were their names. They were scientists who were investigating uh, UFO cases kind of on the down low. Uh, and they said, well, we have discovered a connection here. Several cases hmm. we've investigated previously involving contact in had people who were involved to some degree in the nitrates industry or had fertilizer or they uh. didn't go into any detail. Boy, I'd love to track these guys down. I tried hmm. uh, because I want to know more about this, but there was no further information. Huh. But this was a, a detail of the Betty and Barney Hill case that was never, never solved. So I thought, you know, I know of another case involving fertilizer and it came to, to mind very quickly april 24 1964 <coughs> city, a, a dairy farmer by the name of gary wilcox <laughs> saw a ufo land in his fields he was out spreading fertilizer huh. so he thought you know did a, a engine fall from a plane that was his first thought or you know did someone drop a refrigerator you know what is this thing and he walks up to it it's a large craft it's hovering right above his field know a foot or two and out stepped these two fully suited masked figures he couldn't see their faces they were human in form and five feet tall 
and start talking to him in unflawed, perfect English. He's a good witness, by the way, a former military officer. Uh, investigators did interview his neighbors, and he was interviewed by military personnel as well, who showed a hmm. very strong interest in his case because he had a long conversation with them. I believe it was about two hours. Wow. He would not reveal a lot of what they said, said it was personal. I mean, he was told by the military not to talk about it. Huh. Did eventually say that they gave him some predictions that an astronaut would die, which turned out to be true. But he said towards the end, they started talking about fertilizer. And they were very interested in what it was and its purposes because they told him that that's not exactly how they do it. They're able to obtain energy from the atmosphere and nourish themselves to a certain extent that way. Hmm. He's like, no, no, we fertilize our fields. This helps crops grow big and so forth. And they said, oh, could we have a bag of fertilizer? <laughs> I said, sure. How bizarre. <laughs> I know, right? But it's a well-verified case. Huh. So he goes back to his barn and picks up a 60-pound bag of fertilizer, <laughs> which, you know, is... Pretty uh, heavy. <laughs> and, you know, not free either. Uh, right. He goes back and the craft is gone at this point. So he just drops it there and, like, hmm, and goes back to his business and goes there the next day. The bag is gone. So they apparently yeah. did take it. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but, yeah, it's a very well-known, quite bizarre case. And after digging real deep through the databases of various UFO organizations, found a number of cases of these craft hovering over fertilizer plants or showing a strong interest. Areas where there was lots of fertilizer bleed out into the waters, there would be a hmm. high number of UFO sightings. Uh, one little girl saw a UFO land. <laughs> little beings came out, a dozen of them, and went right up to this uh abandoned railroad depot that was being used to hold fertilizer and they were wow. very very interested in it so there is a connection there okay yeah. rob get some fertilizer this afternoon yeah we'll <laughs> put, put it by the pool and see what yeah. happens yeah. <laughs> oh fertilizer can also be used to create uh, explosives too as was the case in the in oklahoma city where the federal building was destroyed uh oh the timothy uh, mcbay Right. And that was, I think, um, whatever, that was the yesterday for, I don't know how many years ago, 28 years ago that happened. And uh, he used fertilizer to create, uh, he and his uh, allies yeah. uh, used fertilizer to create that bomb. So I don't know if that would have uh, any play. I kind of looked into that. I didn't see any real connection there. Yeah. Yeah. I did find out that, you know, there's phosphorus is, of course, involved with all this and there's a number of cases where ufos land and there's high levels of phosphorus found in the landing traces mm -hmm. so i mean i tried to build a stronger connection there but honestly it's not a whole lot of cases to support this there is something going on i yeah. think ets are very interested in general in our planet uh the plant life the environment uh they're studying animal life plant life human life they're very nerdy people they're very si much scientific and i think yeah. that's part of what's going on here because there's case after case where you, people report seeing them come down and pick plants and flowers and, right do they ever abduct know. like dogs oh yeah yeah they so, do yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, funny you say that because i'm actually doing a research project on that right now <laughs> are you really on dogs? <laughs> you're, you're getting the scoop trish i'm putting uh -oh. out <laughs> on this i'm putting out volume five 
wow. uh, shortly. And I, I'm doing a chapter on that because I'm like, got some really interesting cases. There was one yeah. guy, this is the scoop, <laughs> uh, where he was taken on board with his dog, Hunter Bone. <laughs> the dog went <laughs> running up to the ETs and tried to bite them. And they quickly... Uh, rendered the dog unable to move, paralyzed him, and he floated around like a stuffed animal. Oh my God. Yeah, where there's a very interesting connection with uh, people's pets being taken. Huh. Yeah. Where, where did that one happen? Louisiana. I believe it was Louisiana. Yeah. Huh. And uh, the, mention, mean, the mention of dogs activated ours. I know. Ball in his mouth and <laughs> banging against the side of my chair. Nigel says, "Take me, I'll be their friend." <laughs> yeah. What um? So what happened with this guy? I mean, did he eventually come back to Earth with the dog? Okay. Yep. Yep. The dog was. Fine. <laughs> wow. I do have another case where a lady was taken on board with her dog who had Valley Fever, and they healed the dog. Huh. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, so that's I think going on oh. in some cases because what, what's like, valley fever it's a fungal infection a fungal huh. yeah which is you know not only common among dogs but humans can get it too hmm. Unfortunately. All, all i know is i have a three-year-old boxer i really <laughs> need to learn that paralyzed trick so <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah wow i can't wait to read this book uh preston when's this one going to be out uh, I'm still working on it. I hope to have it out uh, late this year. It's probably going to okay. be the last of the Not From Here volumes, at least for a while. Right. Uh, which yeah. are all about the stranger aspects of uh -huh. your the weird patterns, as we've been talking about. Uh -huh. Yeah. What about dams and hydroelectric power stations? What's the What's the interest there? Yeah, this was another thing I I realized when I started researching because. Researchers do know that UFOs are attracted to anything technological. <laughs> um, nuclear power stations have long been known to attract, you know, UFOs, missile mm -hmm. launches. Mm -hmm. I did a chapter in one of the Not From Your Volumes on prisons, <laughs> of all places. Yeah. <laughs> they're, wow. they're attracted to prisons. And yeah. you know, I thought I had a case in Arizona where they were attracted to, I think it was Parker Dam. And the guy who worked there said, I think they're taking you know, scooping electricity off of the hydroelectric power station. Huh. Yeah. I thought, you know, I don't think there's ever been a study on this. I Because I knew that there were a number of cases. So I started collecting them and recording them and documenting them. <laughs> and like the airport case, <laughs> I found a bunch. And again, it wasn't just these objects hovering. They were landing. Hmm. There was humanoids being seen. There was quite a few involving photographic cases, landing trace cases, uh, electrical power disruptions. I mean, there was a dam in South America. I'd have, I forget exactly which case, but it, it kept, these UFOs kept coming and they always knock out the power and they were scooping up water too. The residents started to call them rabones, which means thief <laughs> <laughs> in uh, Portuguese, I think, or Spanish. Um, Spanish. <laughs> so they were, so regularly visiting there that huh. pe people could predict these sightings. And yeah, it did get photographs. A lot of cases all over the world. England, mm. Canada, across the U.S., South America, Italy. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, I I think a good book uh, would be 
one with the uh that features the legitimate photographs you know that can, mm -hmm. uh be you know ones that have been documented you know that of, of course with text as well and uh, but that that would be i i've not seen anything uh, like that on the market. Yeah, there's Rob, a couple. Get books. that bag of fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Wendell Stevens put out two books: UFO photographs. Oh, really? The world okay. one and two. Oh. Uh, so they're very difficult to find. I have one of. I had, I had two, but I lent one out. Stupid me! Never, never got it. Back. Saw, never saw it. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that yeah, I wish people would do that because uh, that is something that's sorely mm -hmm. missing in this field. Yeah. It's hard to vet these photographs. You know, it's very difficult to prove that they're real. Right. Yeah. I think Whitley Strieber has somebody he takes these photographs uh, to uh -huh. and uh, who analyzes them. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what what he exactly what who that person is or what he does, but I notice whenever. Well, he did that with the videographer about that photo of the woman's dog who had died. Hmm. remember that oh right yeah it, it appeared yeah. over the couch yeah. yeah well remember the ed walters case in gulf breeze where he found oh, yeah. oh yeah those were super controversial he got a lot of flack a lot of people trying to debunk it ended up contacting bruce maccabee mm -hmm. a analyst who gave him a triangulated tamper-proof set of cameras you know on a bar with two cameras so he could uh-huh and basically he Bruce McAbee became utterly convinced of the veracity of Ed Walters' case. And he Where is he now, Ed Walters? Do you know? Do you have any? I mean, <laughs> disappeared off the map. He did put yeah. out a, two, two other books, one including photographic evidence, uh -huh. yeah, uh, which had some great photos, uh, and was co-authored, if I remember correctly, with Bruce McAbee. Huh. Uh, I wonder if he was abducted and just stayed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I, that we, happens. I've I know of cases. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we we went to Gulf Breeze during that time and uh, walked mm -hmm. out on the pier there and were there fishermen uh, and uh, you know we looked up and there there was a light in the sky. You know that didn't move. It wasn't. Uh, it was too. Uh, it wasn't. It was too early for to be a star. You know, but it was. It was like Venus. But you know, it Not wasn't Venus. <laughs> it wasn't Venus. Uh, you know, and uh people are looking at it and you know and just these fishermen are saying, Yeah, that's just you know, regular uh we, we see these all the time. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing UFOs so often like, yeah, eh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just keep fishing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have cases of that where UFOs stayed in the sky so long that people became bored and like, eh. Go back inside. Yeah, uh, we had that uh, happen uh, to us. In fact, uh, on a trip to Barnes and Noble, that uh, <laughs> we went in and we bought. Uh, I found a, a, a UFO book that I'd never seen. Uh, I bought it. In fact, I've never seen it again. Uh, I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, and uh, walked out in the parking lot, and there is this light uh, above our car and above the parking lot, uh, several hundred feet. And it just stayed there. And we stood there for 10 minutes or so watching it. We're looking up. People walk by. Nobody looks up, which is odd. And then, <laughs> then Trish finally says, well, I want to go to Walgreens, which was about a you know, <laughs> quarter mile away. So we drove over there. She went inside to Walgreens. I stayed in the car. And there it was again. I'm looking out through the trees across 
the wow. highway and it's it's above a golf course but just in a spot where i can see it which is <laughs> very very and odd. you didn't see it move either no no so, i didn't see it, uh you know when we we drove away it was ab yeah. above the parking lot yeah yeah, where I lived in the San Fernando Valley, there's I think two million people clustered in just a you know ten square miles or so, twenty square miles. Yeah, a lot of cases, and it, there's just so many people there, millions, and a lot of them just don't look up. They're not seeing these. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you think if you see if you come out of Barnes and Noble, you see these two people just standing in the middle of the parking lot looking up. You also would look up just yeah, to when see. Yeah, when I see people, well, what is up, it? I I would tend to look up myself to see yeah. what they're looking at. Wow. I had a good yeah, sighting okay. while driving down the freeway once. <laughs> Cars were just driving. I'm like, well, what is that? Yeah. I thought it was Venus at first, but then I saw Venus, so I knew it wasn't. Yeah. Venus. Well, but yeah. that, but it is it is real because the the you know trish and rob have seen uh some video of uh, that i took in mesa mm -hmm. uh mesa arizona and uh and uh uh was out there for business went went to my meeting the next day and was showing uh the folks at the meeting the video and they were like yeah okay <laughs> and i was just like <laughs> yeah okay but yeah very 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 strange although it is interesting that you brought up the uh the lanterns earlier because that was the explanation that i eventually got mm -hmm. that, that there had been a lantern release on friday but i took the video on monday yeah <laughs> they, they wouldn't have lasted that long yeah, yeah no they last 15 minutes that's how i ruled out a number of those fourth of july cases as being lanterns because they, yeah. they don't last any more than 15 minutes Right. Yeah. So Preston, we're coming to the end of our hour here. Uh, I just want to ask you one more question. The last time you had, uh, we had you on, uh, Dolly, uh, was with you. Uh, was, I can't remember. Her she last doing? Yeah, Saffron. Wanted, Saffron. yeah. Saffron. Saffron. Uh, uh, are you still in contact with her and uh, is, has she had any further sightings? Do you know of her? Or experience? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely still in contact with her. Um, her sightings have tapered down because, as she says, uh, the ETs have largely left our planet due to the magnetic, uh, the instability of our magnetic fields and the sun burping off CMEs. And yeah, she's still in telepathic contact with them. She still has encounters. Uh, she's mm -hmm. seen like ET drones, you know, drone craft, which are still uh -huh. here in limited numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, her case is still ongoing yeah uh, I'm still in touch with her i'm we're thinking about putting together another book because really that one symmetry just that's a great book surface thank, right thank you. yeah yeah. Uh, it's yeah. still a bestseller by the way it was released Good. a year ago it's still on the that's fantastic oh. yeah. <laughs> so yeah she, great. she's amazing uh still in touch with her her encounters are the most extensive i've ever had the opportunity to investigate Tell her hi for us. I really like Dolly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure she'd love to come come back on the show. Anytime. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, right. We'd love to have her. Yeah. I'll let her know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Preston. Oh, wait. Let people know about the book and where they can find you and your website, all that stuff. Oh, thanks, Trish. Yeah. The book is called Not From Here, Volume Four. Uh, you can go to my website, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com, to learn more or buy the book through the website or on Amazon or any other online retailers. I have a YouTube channel. I'm all over social media, Facebook, Instagram, and so forth. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really that appreciate it. That was great. It. We love talking yeah. to you, Preston. You, <laughs> yeah. you, you live in a weird world. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. Well, we share it. You yeah, and that's, we, we share it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay great. take care. Talk to you soon. Okay. You know. Bye. Thanks for joining the Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical.